welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I am Carrie, and my good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy will be joining me soon, and we are going to spend some time this evening uh, talking about Chapter 3 of our current book. In case you haven't uh, joined us before, the book we are reading is called Most Likely to Succeed. And this is the third book in our online book club. Mike and I started this, gosh, I don't even know, a few months ago. There he is. Hey, Mike. Hello, hello. How's it going? Good. How about yourself? Look who's home. <laughs> yes, I'm back. I'm back for one whole day. And tomorrow I leave for another six-day tour. So I will be out and about again. You are an important person, but you oh, are back back with the books tonight. Back with the, the backdrop in case you're listening uh, and don't <laughs> see, I sit uh, behind or in front of a, a bookcase uh, of all of my children's books that are they're sorted like the rainbow so it's kind of like my little visual uh, uh, eye candy if you that will, is the those. official <laughs> background of Monday chapter chats it is it is so how have things been going Mike it's been great we've uh, we've opened opened up our new clinic so oh. we have a new we have a new space now so uh, I, I went to Ikea with uh, with one of my co-workers last uh -huh. week and it's a very overwhelming experience there Isn't uh, it? but but it was it was very frustrating oh. uh, almost just almost straight up quit and left i couldn't take yeah. it anymore but yeah. but got a good amount of things we're still building a couple of shelves but yeah so far so good we i i posted a picture we have like a like a basketball net inside like the kind oh. you see at the, at the arcades we have like wow. an in, we, there's like an indoor indoor golf net uh, it's really, it's, we're, we're really trying to make it like a true, yep. And here's a, here's my friend here says new clinic. Uh, yep. so, awesome. uh, yeah. And it, it's, I'm so excited to get all the kids back. It's really meant for, you know, middle school, high school, mm -hmm. college age students. And it's just a, it's a huge, beautiful space. So I'm so excited. How awesome. Congratulations. Thank you, I, thank you. I love to, to see you growing. I mean, it's just uh, so exciting and helping. That allows you to help more kids and do it in a meaningful way. So super yeah. excited for you. That's fabulous. Yeah. How were your travels? You know, everything was good. I went to Nebraska and then to Denver, Colorado, and then to Cheyenne, Wyoming. So put a few miles on the car. Um, it was nice to be around people in person instead of online. Uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Headed to Iowa this week and we'll be doing two conferences in Iowa. So wow. um, yeah. Are you, so. are you driving there? Yep, yep. I was wow. my home state. I went to the okay. University of Iowa, and I'll be speaking uh, very close to uh, Iowa's campus in Iowa City. So I'm excited. I haven't been back to my alma mater in, I don't know, over a decade. So I'm really excited to uh, wow, head Wow, that's there. amazing. So yeah. you're, you're going to go back to where you got your, oh, mas where I, your yeah, master's well, in speech? Where I got my undergrad. Yep, got undergrad. my undergrad at Iowa. Yeah, and that's it's a really miracle cool. I did because I had way too much fun in undergrad. So um, <laughs> it's kind of a miracle that I'm here today. But you, had, anyways, you had varied experiences. I let's had say that. so many varied experiences. <laughs> yes, let's leave it at that. So, nice. Mike, what did you think about our chapter three? We read chapter three, and then there was a little a couple pages after that um, that we read. But what did you think of chapter three? Chapter three was super, super interesting. Uh, and there, and I, there were so many parts while I was reading this where I had to remind myself when this was written mm -hmm. because there were a few times they, they, these authors kind of predicted the future a little bit. I know. It's kind so of freaky, isn't there it? There were a few times I was reading this and I was like, wow, like, did they write this like last week? Yeah, because yeah. It, it's unbelievable how, you know, we talk about the uh, the income gap, how mm -hmm. our country is split apart, 
mm-hmm. automation happening. Yep. Uh, and but one thing I did love to see was that you know obviously this is only our third book here for Monday <laughs> Chapter Chats, and you know the inaugural season of Chapter Chat, if yes. you will. But our first two books both got a shout out. It was crazy. In this book. Unbelievable. I, I was flipping out. I mean, this whole time I was reading this chapter, my husband and I share an office because we work together here at home. And I kept going, oh, my God, Jim, Jim. Oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe this. Amazing. But I couldn't believe. And I have it starred, of course. So as we go through the chapter, yeah. yes, in case you're new to Chapter Chat, our very first book we read was by Paul Tuff. And it's called How Children Succeed. And it was mentioned in Chapter 3. And then, of course, Amazing. Finished Lessons. Probably my favorite of the three we've read, I think, oh, just yeah. because – it just, uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. And they talked quite a bit about Finland and, you know, the successes that they've had and specifically mentioned Posse Salberg, the author of Finnish Lessons. So I was like, you would have thought, and I know I say this every week, myself, yeah. like, you would have thought that you and I sat down and were like, okay, let's read the books in this order because they build off of each other. And we totally did not. We've been so random about the books. Completely As random. As you can see, Mike and I, we both have huge bookshelves just filled with reference books and we sort of just agreed on how children succeed first and then I was like hey what about this one and Mike's like never heard of it let's do that and then Mike's like hey what about this one and so and the fact that they built on each other and that they keep referencing the other books I don't know I just I I feel like it's just kind of meant to be the way we're we're exactly going through this it's just further proof of just intuition and yep. fate and destiny it's just yep. amazing and then I, I, i'm still constantly getting so many amazing messages yeah uh our, our friend allison uh, allison molten yes. posted an amazing amazing post today hopefully she's here i, I didn't see her i haven't seen her up. yet yeah but uh but she was in an iep meeting today and they were talking about how a student should not get services because they're not struggling they're, they don't qualify for services they're and not she struggling re- enough they're not said. struggling they're not enough. Struggling there you enough. go. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and she referenced chapter chats and she recommended that everybody in that room tune in tonight. Hey, there she There's is. Allison. There we go. There we go. So, and it's just amazing. So, yeah. and yeah. We, we talk about all the time. Chapter chat is the grassroots movement. Oh, we're trying. So Aren't it's, like... so it's people like Allison Moulton yep. and, and Callie Knight and Carol, mm-hmm. all you people out there that are starting small you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's change the lives of a, of a handful of people we can. Right. And we're going to grow and grow and grow as this goes on. So, Mike, I have to tell you, and we have a, a few listeners on here, so I just have to share with you. I'm a little bit giddy. Tomorrow at 10 a.m., I am having a Zoom meeting with a school district. So I spent two days consulting in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they have asked me to consider um, – coming in as a consultant and revamping their special ed program. And Whoa. I am. What like, ages? Not, uh, they want K through six to start with, and then they want to finish up K through 12. So um, I am. That's what we of, need. I know. I am just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, could this be the beginning? So it I'm is. trying not it to is. get my hopes up too much, but I'm speaking to the superintendent of curriculum development tomorrow and um, so anyways, I, I'll keep you posted on how that goes, but I. Wow. Uh, so that's, hey, uh, everybody who's there right now, yeah, see, see, it was, it was only a matter of time for something yeah. like this to happen. And I so, think it'll, if we can start, you know, like you said, we start small, right? If we can affect yep. change in yep. one school district, in one school, you know, and as we um, continue to 
uh, progress and show that there is a different uh, way to do things, I think we can continue to affect change. So yeah, we're young yeah. enough. We're young enough, right, Michael? Just keep going. And, keep and we going, can get we going. can get real creative here about how we kind of track progress yeah. and make it, yeah. look at, you know, and kind of see yeah. what's happening and, you know, come up with some sort of program that spreads and all mm. that kind of thing. Mm -mm -mm. So this is a uh, so this I'm excited. Is, so this is amazing. That is yeah. absolutely fantastic. I know. And so while I'll keep you posted. I may need you to be on my consultant team. So hey. I'll, I'll let you know. All right. And, <laughs> and while we're talking about how unbelievable you are and amazing work you're doing, <laughs> let's talk about that unbelievable post you put up the other day about your son's IEP Oh team. my God. That you right that, there. That, oh. I shared that. I sent that to probably 35 people. I'm I, dead serious. And I didn't even mean amazing. it to be like a bragging, like, oh, look how awesome my son is. But it was more of this. And I would love to go through, I may do another post and go through and dissect the positive wording that the school district used because, uh -huh. um, you know, they, they said things like, um, instead of saying he's inflexible or something, they said he is meticulous about his yes. work. And I thought how they did that multiple times where they chose wording that was strength-based instead of they could have and in the past. A lot of my son's IEPs were worded like talking about his negatives and the thing, you know, but um, it was just an amazing uh, experience. My husband and I, it was an online uh, uh, IEP meeting. And so he was on his computer. I was on mine. And we were both just almost in tears as they were talking about. And I, I mean, honestly, I don't remember what his scores were on like his IEP goals. Like I, I, I the percentages doesn't really matter no. to me, but it was what they were talking about. Really, they were talking about his executive function skills, that he's organized, that he completes his work on time. I'm like, who could, what, what more can you? ask for he's kind he's polite he is one of the only students who uh engages with the teachers and greets them in the hallway they said hardly any student ever does that and he initiates initiation is a really important you know skill so i just have to tell you it was it was overwhelming um considering he's a junior in high school and you know we're starting to think about post you know high school plans so um it's pretty exciting but the part where they were talking about how employable he is, oh. that's the big thing. So yep. that right there, the authors of this book yep. would have loved that post because yep. that's what it's all about, how employable he is. Right. He, he has the people skills. He has the soft skills. Yep. He's, do, he's, he's going above and beyond. He's doing what other students are not doing. Right. And it's not right. about the scores. It's not about no. these things. It's which about is what, what we want to make it about in exactly. our education system, which is what you yep. and I have been talking about with all three of these books is that we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills, right? That we are now, and what I love about this book, and especially this chapter, Mike, is that it talks about this innovation era that we live yep. in and how yep. antiquated our education system is and how it was designed for the manufacturing era. And it is no longer relevant. And no wonder our students, um, you know, are, are bored and uh, don't have that motivation, that, that internal drive to want to do good in school because they're learning irrelevant information that has nothing to do with life. So, yeah, um, yeah. Let's go ahead and dig into chapter three. What do you think, Mike? Let's do it. Let's do okay. it. This is so, yeah. So this chapter is called what's at stake. Uh, and it really dives oh. deep into the some of the big issues like climate change and oh, yeah. po political divisiveness and so many things happening. But, you know, really, the, the core of this chapter is, is that the Internet yes. basically changed the entire yes. world, changed yes. everything except for education yep. so that's yep. basically it so it, it changed jobs it changed yeah. the way we the way that we work it changed mm -hmm. the way that people live it changed the way that people people staying at a job it changed mm -hmm. the way people learn uh and schools have not yes schools now do 
Chromebooks and MacBooks instead of agenda books and but they're still just wrote memorizing That's facts it. and regurgitating exactly. on them a test and you had a post it was either I think it was today maybe yesterday but I think it was today that said you know when kids do homework are they really like showing you what they learned or are they showing you how good their Google skills are you yep. know, just because yep. you can Google something and write it down on a piece of paper and say oh here's the answer it has nothing to do with learning it has nothing to do with the core skills that will make one successful in this innovation era in which we live. So what I'd like to do, Mike, is on page 53, the very first page of this chapter, I think it's really important how they started off saying, look, there's two prevailing beliefs that most people in America have, because the majority of people truly believe that our American education system needs revamping. I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find people who say our education system is working, you know, it's excellent every, you know, and we're doing it right. So if it's badly broken, there seems to be two prevailing um, philosophies. Yep. One is that, oh my gosh, the United States is not competitive internationally. We are falling behind Singapore and, you know, South Korea and I don't know what other countries, China, you know, and China. We're falling, yeah, we're falling behind yep. and our test scores are not adequate. We're not competitive on, a, on, a, on an international level. Okay. So that's one belief. The second uh, uh, prevailing belief is that, oh, education is broken, but only in the inner city schools. It's really only, you know, for those schools who um, um, are, are, you know, in the inner cities of Chicago or Kansas City or L.A., but the rest of, you know, education is doing okay. So those are kind of those two prevailing beliefs. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the chapter begins by uh, really separating these two views. And then it goes right into really debunking those, those yeah, myths. Yeah, because they're myths, right? So, they're exactly. Myths. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and what I love about these authors is they are just straight to the point and blunt and serious. And you know Big what time. else, Mike? They, they, don't, they pull some punches. I they mean, sure they, do. They say some things that I'm like, oh, if I were to read that on Chapter Chat, I would sound sassy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, some of the yeah. things they say, there's some what I call one-liners. I'm a big fan of one-liners. I sometimes yep. do posts about my one-liners, like for early child development and stuff. Um, and they have some one-liners that I have actually... I use two, two different colored um, highlighters and the ones that I have squiggles under, I'm like, ooh, that's a one-liner that I want to make sure that I, that I get to. Um, yeah, I'm just going to tell you what it is. That one that I, this is one of my favorite new terms. Now, like exam-oriented education yep. on page 55. Yep. I want you all to hear that again. Exam-oriented education. Wouldn't you guys, I wish I could see a show of hands. Well, I mean, wouldn't you agree that that's what our education system has been based on? right? It's about exactly. taking tests and yeah. to prove that you're college worthy, to prove that you're, you know, um, a good student, you have to be able to do well on exams, right? That's the only thing that we really measure. And um, as we know, we've talked about it for three books now, that just because you get A's on a test doesn't mean you have any life skills whatsoever. 100%. And, yep. and this, this whole obsession with test scores so this first myth is that America's falling behind other countries. And they come right out and say, guess what? We've America always. has always performed always, poorly. Right? Always, right? Yep. And, then, and, and this is com uh, compared to these oh. other highly tested countries like China and Korea, where their schools are literally basically factories. Yep. And, they, and they come right out and say, you think teen suicides are bad here? They're You've worse, seen nothing they're, yet. They're worse there. So I just had to pull this book out because I read this book many years ago and it is called The Smartest Kids in the World and How They yep. Got That Way. And um, it talks about um, uh, all of these countries. It talks about um, 
Poland and South Korea. And anyways, I just thought it was so interesting that they brought this up that um, we compete against na nations that basically they spend their entire education, educational career prepping for those high stakes tests. That's all they do. In South Korea, when you read this book, it is really kind of frightening. Um, went on on um, standardized test day, all the parents and all the adults, they stand, they have parades. They stand out in the streets as the students walk into schools and they're cheering them on. You would, you know, like we do for our football players, they exactly. do that for their students because it is, um, and if they don't do well on the standardized test because the, the, the scores are posted, um, it, it brings shame to the entire family. And so when yeah. they bring no. shame to their family, they, a lot of them just commit suicide because they're like, now yep. I, I won't be able to make it in this world. My family, you know, is embarrassed by me. So when we talk about the United States has always performed poorly in international ratings, uh, you know, comparatively to these other countries. Um, I don't think we need to uh, talk about that anymore because we need to be, really be concerned about mental health, right? And so Absolutely. I feel like we're on the right track in this country in trying to reduce the stigma of mental health, trying to talk about mental health. Absolutely. So we're certainly going to stop this talk that the only thing that matters in life is test scores. So I think debunking that myth is pretty is pretty okay, right? That we're, we're, it's okay that we don't compete at an international level because we shouldn't be teaching to the test, which we do a little bit, but not to the degree that these other countries do. Um, on page 54, do you see there where it, Mike, in the middle it says, um, like the, the PISA exam, which the other yeah, two books yeah. talked about, the Program for International Student Assessment. Um, the thing is, is that test does not assess creativity, collaboration, innovation, grit, right there, resourcefulness or ethics. And so it is actually not even a good um, uh, assessment of yep. who is going to do well in the world. And the word that keeps coming up, and I love that they listed it first, is this word creativity. Because exactly. any education system that is focused on some common core, that is focused on everybody learning the exact same thing in the exact same way, what they are stifling is creativity. And we have a lot of problems in this country. In fact, we have a lot of problems all around the world. But the only way we're going to solve problems is if we have people who have creative problem solving skills, not skills that they learned how everybody, um, you know, learns to solve the same problem in the exact same way. And there's only one answer. That's exactly. what we need to move away from. Yep. Yep. And, and this, this PISA test is what when people say that America's falling behind other countries, this, this PISA test is, is this standardized at. test yep. that is bringing family shames and yep. scores yep. are posted, all these things. Education expert Yang Zhou calls the PSA, PISA one of the most destructive forces in education today. It creates an illusionary model of excellence, romanticizes misery, <laughs> glorifies educational authoritarianism, and most seriously directs the world's attention to the past instead of pointing to the future. Yep. And that, yep. that's, a, that's a theme of this whole chapter. Yeah, is, it really is, is. Is education being stuck in the past and mm -hmm. all of these <laughs> issues that, is, that are really on the forefront now that were in the future when this book was written, but are now literally happening as we speak. Uh, this, is, this is really, you know, all of these issues. And if we don't fix education, we're going to be in big, big trouble. 
Right. And what's so interesting is on page 55, it goes on, well, they talk quite a bit about Finland there, yep. and, you know, just their education system. And we've already talked about Finland in our previous book. But what I find interesting is in the second paragraph on 55, I had to reread this. I read this twice because it just sort of was like this aha moment. So what about those formidable Asian education systems? Are their leaders thrilled with how it's going? Well, no, their mm -hmm. leaders are deeply, are you hearing me? They are deeply concerned about the lack of creativity and innovation in their graduates. Chinese education leaders frequently come to meet um, with education leaders in the United States. Um, uh, the Chinese, as well as education leaders from all over the world, come to learn from the extraordinary work being done um, in some of these uh, K-12 networks of schools. But this is what is so interesting. It said the Chinese are asking themselves this question. Why do we find ourselves only as the manufacturers of other people's, other people's. innovations? Yeah. And yep. that was something, because, you know, everything's made in China, right? We talk yep. about this all the time in America. Everything's made in China. It'll say, like, it's from, you know, a, a company in the United States, but it's made in China. You know, you'll see that a lot, right? So the innovation came from the United States, but it's manufactured in China. So it just was really interesting to look at. Sure, they have great test scores, but they don't have creativity. They don't have innovation. So um, uh, they, they go on to talk about, you know, that they really need to look at their exam-oriented education because they're figuring out this doesn't work um, in the new world. Um, so it goes on then. I just, what a great, I have like this whole page highlighted, um, talking about um, accepting standardized tests as the metric that matters most. Would you agree that we still do that? Uh, of course, mm -hmm. every it's, step of the way to, to the point where it's basically, uh, basically we're, we're teaching to the test. And, it, and this is what uh, the last book talked about so much, mm -hmm. Finished Lessons, was what's happening now with this increase of this constant testing, testing. There's SAT tests, there's nationwide tests, mm -hmm. there's state, state testing. Every and year. It's, and, and it's mm -hmm. creating uh, competition between schools. Yep. And it's holding teachers accountable to the test scores mm -hmm. and decreasing collaboration, creativity, and all of, and all of these issues. Right, but, right. But, but this entire paragraph here on page 55 is about China and how they recognize the issue. Uh -huh. So they ask themselves, why do we find ourselves only as the manufacturers of other people's innovations? Uh -huh. So they are doing something about it. So they, they appear to be recognizing that their schooling is an important place to start. So they are limiting direct instruction, uh -huh. which was a heavy piece of finished lessons, yep. Yep. talking about how American teachers teach too much. Right. And then the mere recitation of facts and yep. are looking for in innovative pedagogies that encourage students to design and make things. Oh, so so clearly, it. clearly they are in, they are decreasing lecture listen model yep. and increasing project-based learning. Project -based which learning. which That's there right. is there is mounds and mounds and mounds of research on that. Yep. And you show me a project-based learning school in America, and I'll show you 50, 50 that are lecture listen. Right. And so what Mike and I want to make really hit home again, because I do get messages of people saying, oh, but yep. this school is great. This school, you know, um, you know, we, you know, there, there are, we have great innovators in Silicon Valley and all this. We're not saying there's none. We're saying those people who are born with autonomy, with intrinsic motivation, um, yep. the, the millennial thing that we read, Mike, you know, on page uh, 77 is about a kid who was very self-motivated, still didn't have success. But, you know, uh, we know that there are going to be people who are driven, who are 
motivated. And yes, those innovative people are out there. We're not saying the United States is completely devoid of them because look at page 56. This absolutely blew my mind, okay? Um, Nobel Prize winners. You want to hear this? this yeah, guy, there you go. You, there you go. Not reading the book. The United States has 353 Nobel Prize winners. China has eight. Japan has 21. India has 11. Korea has one. Okay, so when we look at the United States, because we, um, you know, have so many freedoms and, you know, we do have innovative thinkers and we have the ability to um, start a business if you want to, right? Because we're not communists, because we have this, this free democracy, we can do things if you have the inner drive. What we are seeing, though, in the United States is we have the highest dropout rate in college. So, I mean, something is, is still problematic, right? We have students who now get on TikTok and would rather do these challenges. Oh like now the new one is slap a teacher challenge, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, who wants to be an educator now? Um, when I was in Cheyenne, um, the, one of the principals I was talking to told me in his 30 years as an administrator, he's never seen destruction like he's seen this year. Toilets being ripped out of the floor, yep. um, uh, you know, fires being intentionally set because they're recording it and putting it on TikTok. So yep. this is where our nation is, right? We're here saying, this is all our students. Our students are so bored. They don't care about education, the majority nope. of them, right? What they care about is getting famous. They want to be YouTubers. They want to, you know, uh, have, a, have a, a, a post go viral, whatever. So it seems as though TikTok is now kind of driving, you know, what our students are doing at school um, to the point where I'm not even sure we should be allowing TikTok. I mean, what is going on? It's, you know, it's, I, it's ridiculous. I, I I'm, just, I'm doing a presentation next week. And the person who's setting up the presentation at the school emailed me and said, Mike, can you add to your presentation why TikTok challenges are happening yep. and how to respond to them? Yep. So it's, a, it's an entire training on executive functioning yep. and how yep. to bring it to the school. And, yep. and this is the world we're living in now, yeah. where yeah. this is what kids are doing inside the educational setting. Right. This is exactly what's happening. So kids yep. are at school. And this is how they pass the time. This is what motivates them. And this, uh, and later on in this chapter, uh, they they talk about a conversation with a teacher, and the teacher says, "Wow, kids really seem to learn about things that they're enjoying, that they feel connected to." Mm-hmm. And they say, "Oh, does that does that have any sort of connection to education and what's sort of happening?" And the teacher, the teacher says, "Hmm, let me get back to you on that." But that's exactly what it is. In Finland, they have found a way for kids to have ownership over over their education and these kids are taking more school than what's mandatory mm-hmm. they love to read they love to learn yeah i don't know de- if our finnish friend is on here we have a, a yeah yeah therapist yeah or some one of our followers who um uh mm-hmm. is from finland and when we were talking about the finnish book she was like yeah education was never stressful going to school we loved it i mean we had it was, imagine that you, you know can you imagine and I, I still go back to and they talked about it again on page 54 finland's education system is an inspiring model for preparing kids for a world that values creativity and innovation. They spend almost no time on test prep or homework. They're largely responsible for their own education agenda. They have 15 minutes of recess for every hour of class. I mean, it just goes on and on why, we, why Mike and I were so fascinated with the way Finland, um, why, why, you know, how their education system is set up. And so it is, it is uh, so different from how it is here in the United States. So, Mike, then we go on to myth number two. Let's debunk the second myth. And the second myth was that, oh, the only place we really have educational issues in the United States is in the lower socioeconomic areas of, of cities, right? It's the inner city schools that are broken, but everybody else is doing just fine. So what did the authors have to say, say about that? 
So the number one thing that you hear is when, when people talk about if we can only fix our underperforming schools is okay. There needs to be more school choice. There needs to be the and, and finished lessons touched on school choice. And say, uh, you don't need school choice, right? There you go. Exactly. If all of your schools, if all of your public schools are, are, are within 6% of each other, they all perform within 6% of each other, you never have to look for a better school, right? Which is the exact opposite of how it is, a, is here in the United States. It, it could not be more of an opposite. It's an absolute polar opposite. And the, the thing that we have here is, okay, so there's public schools in these inner cities, and, they, and this is when they introduced the amazing How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff, and how Paul Tuff went into these KIPP charter schools in Philadelphia, which gave them another opportunity, school choice, so you don't have to go to this low-income uh, public school that has no money because it's based off of property taxes. How about we send them to this privately funded charter school? Mm-hmm. Well, the research from Stanford, <laughs> Stanford University tells yep. us that charter schools underperform public schools, comparables in math. And basically, they said it beautifully here, was that uh, charter schools provide the space for innovation because yep. of the ideal which is kind of what they talked about in the first chapter of this book, Uh where they talked about mission statements of school. And then they provide the space for innovation, but because their success is measured (laughs) entirely by traditional achievement tests, they they feel pressured to focus almost exclusively on the basic skills that the tests assess. So they're still teaching to the test, even in the charter schools, right? But now you're paying maybe $50,000 a year to go to high school, right? Uh, Because you want to go to the elite. And I have to bring this up again. How many um, business-oriented reformists, that's what they call in this book, but even how many people in public education send their own children to private schools, send their own children to charter schools. So, I mean, to say that our our education system isn't broken is is just a fallacy to think that, because why would someone in the public education sector choose to send their child to a different school if public schools were good, right? We know that there are issues in in our public school system and charter schools and private schools Aren't the aren't the solution because they they have the the, the research that shows that they're, those kids aren't performing any better in those. And we schools. look at what's happening now with schools. Like I know around here in Philadelphia, they're paying families if they turn down the bus and take their own kid to school because there's not enough bus drivers. They're paying and them. They're paying families. They're paying <laughs> families saying if you drive your kid to school and pick them up and you don't need a bu- need a bus. We'll, instead, we'll take the money that we were going to give to a bus driver and we'll give it to the families. And they're also sending kids home with teacher applications to give to their parents because they can't find enough teachers. Kids are coming home with applications to, to their own school. It's unbelievable. And it's only inevitable. You have a broken system that never changes. You think about the people that go into education. These are people that turn that know they're not going to be rich, know mm-hmm. they're not going to make a lot of money, but they want to make change. They're people, people. Right. They want they want to work with kids. They want to inspire. They want to help. All of these things. But when you realize that you're just going to be teaching to a test, mm-hmm. and you have no opportunity to to uh, bring up someone's passion mm-hmm. or teach them mental health skills or teach right. them executive functioning skills. You're going to be stuck in IEP meetings. You're going to be stuck yep. in due, due processes. 
you're yep. going to be stuck getting blamed because of test scores. Why yep. go into Why go into teaching? Why? Right, right, right. On page fifty-eight, I just have to. This is a highlighted uh, paragraph that I have. Oh yeah. And it just oh, talks yeah. about. Um, uh, you know, this is the crisis in education doesn't lie just in our bottom quartile uh, of schools and teachers unions aren't the main problem. You don't find better teaching in schools that have no unions or in right to work states. The crisis is ubiquitous. Every child in America is at risk. Student after student in school after school spend their school hours. Here we go, Mike. Bored, covering irrelevant material, doing mindless tasks taking far too many ill-conceived standardized tests and having the creativity and innovation schooled out of them. Our focus shouldn't be to give all kids equal access to the same bad education experience. Here's one of theirs where they pull no punches, right? We need to reinvent education and give all kids a fighting chance in life. I just, I think that, that's that, that might be the most powerful paragraph mm -hmm. in the entire book. I basically yep. underlined the entire thing. Yep. It sums up the big problem in a couple of words. Yep. Bored, covering irrelevant material, doing mindless tasks, right. which is basically every night, which causes yeah. fight, fights and anxiety oh. in the home afterwards. Oh. Taking yeah. too many ill-conceived standardized tests and having creativity and innovation schooled out of them. It's un so, so when you make the argument, if we could only fix our underperforming schools, they say it straight up. Every child in America is at risk. You could be in the most beautiful suburban public school, right. but you're still going to be in a bored. place with, with bored, mindless tasks, crazy standardized tests, yep. and teachers teaching to the test. That's right. And, and we can go back to Alfie Cohn's book, The Homework Myth, that has shown that homework is just usually busy work. I mean, unless there is something where there needs to be research done and, it, you know, writing a big report, like in that regard, they found that homework is actually beneficial, you know, to getting deeper learning, more meaningful learning. But to just send home worksheets and busy work, and let's, let's be clear that we're sending home homework packets to kindergartners. So we have kindergartners, you know, doing homework on a nightly basis. Um, so that means they're not out playing. That means they're not playing games with their family. Families. They're not, you know, engaging in any kind of play-based learning because they're sitting at their uh, kitchen table um, crying and, and fighting through the tears of having to do more homework when they just spent eight hours in school, um, you know, uh, uh, doing worksheets all day. So uh, there is um, a lot to be said, again, and in Finland, and I know we keep going back to this, but in Finland, they don't do homework. Homework is really not a part of the um, educational landscape there. So um, it's pretty fascinating. Exactly. Finnish students on page 54. Finnish students spend almost no time on test prep or homework and are largely responsible for their own educational agenda. Yeah. They have 15 minutes of recess for every hour of class. It's crazy. And remember also in Finland that once they get to basically what we call high school to upper secondary education, they get two hours per week of counseling. So those students um, are actually like focusing on their future, talking about their future. And in Finland, vocational track is, is considered a viable option. It's not like something that, oh, if you're not college bound, you can go into vocational. It is actually a very well-respected um, you know, track that people, uh, it, as students in Finland can take. So um, it, part of it is about the stigma you know, that we've decided yeah. here in the United States that if, you know, if you're not college bound, um, that you haven't had success. And yet going to college uh, is, is no sign of success considering we have the highest dropout rate 
state of, of any country, you know, for college students. So um, on page 58, Mike, they, I really like this whole section. And this is what my husband this is, and I- This is where it happened. Yeah, this is, this is this where is, it all yep, happened. Yep, I really, yep. so they talk about the reality and they say that years from now, we're going to look back kind of at this decade right now, you know, and, and, and find that this is um, where the global economy changed in the blink of an eye, okay? And so yep. uh, as the, yeah, it's so interesting. So they found that, I mean, they talk about how, um, opportunities for the innovative, the creative, and for the nimble have really blossomed in this innovation era, right? That if you are a self-starter, if you're motivated, if you're creative, if you're innovative, you have a fighting chance. But um, what is happening is um, in our, our education system is still stuck in the 19th and the 20th century, right? Which our, our education system, the current educational system, I did a post on this maybe a week or two ago, um, started in 1893, and it was was designed for the manufacturing era, right? They needed to um, have uh, employees who could uh, do manufacturing jobs. So they wanted them to be able to do highly repetitive work with very few errors. And so they created an education system for that. And now in the 21st century, um, we find that uh, those things are, are no longer relevant. That type of educational system is not what our youth need. Um, but it says on, on page 59, we'll continue churning out millions of students each year with no real skills and no fighting chance in life. We'll prioritize measuring irrelevant things and drill. Here we go. Here's another here's another punch. Drill the innovation and creative creativity out of our youth. A small number of our most talented will escape the damage of school and go on to create successful new companies and unimaginable wealth. And our wealthiest parents will, of course continue to get their kids the right internships, get them into the right schools. And despite their, their failures in education, they will be able to help their, their kids make it, right? Because we know yep. that money talks, right? That if you are one of those families that you can uh, uh, help your kid, but everybody else is going to plod through, right? They're going to leave with abysmal career prospects, have citizenship skills no better than mob psychology. I mean, this is just uh, unbelievable. As the ranks of chronically unemployed youth swell, the rift between the unrelenting rich and the disenfranchised rest will rip our society apart. We will fail as a country, not because other nations defeated us, but because we defeated Redefe ourselves, right? And, and how about this saying they keep using with this no fighting chance in life? Yeah. That is a powerful, powerful phrase. And, yeah. they're talk and, they, and they're very blunt about finances and money and what they can do. But you think about it, they're talking about the overwhelming majority. So yeah. this, is a, this is a country where 1% of the population owns 99% of the wealth. Right, so when they're, right. when, they're, when they're talking about how, how there's going to be no fighting chance in life because you're not, you're not coming from a wealthy family where you have resources and money mm -hmm. talks, as you say, this no fighting chance in life because we're going to get into automation yeah. and climate oh, yeah. change and these things. Page this is huge. 60 to 63 is where, like, I, I, like, we're not even to the good stuff yet, you guys. So I hope you'll hang on with us because, I mean, it just gets better. This chapter, didn't you think, Mike, as it went it's, on, it got... Better. These these guys literally predicted the future. I don't know it's if crazy. I, I don't yeah. know if I don't know if COVID uh, pushed things through and and made things happen faster. But they're talking about an inflection point. Years from yeah. now, histor historians will point to this as an inflection point. Mm -hmm. They talk about how America is going to struggle to preserve a democracy. Yeah, we've seen a little bit of that. We're yep. talking about the fracturing of news sources. 
The oh, way that, that was so fascinating. How, how did they possibly predict that? I because don't know. that that has become quite possibly one of the tr- most troubling issues we have. Yeah. And yeah. then they're talking about how our politicians aren't even capable or have the skills to deal with the challenges oh, of and today. And we're going to talk about politicians. I hope we have time. We don't have a ton of time <laughs> left. But I mean, the stuff on politicians, I it made me think back to my childhood when politicians used to be respected. But now because of social media, I mean, it's amazing yep. how divided yep. we are. Oh, let's let's stay on track, though. Let's get there. So page 60, Mike, starts yep. talking about the economic stakes. The name of this chapter is What's at Stake? And I will tell you, I think this is a fascinating section. So they talk about how the 20th century economy was shaped by companies like AT&T, U.S. Steel, GM. So I really like, they talk about a massive organizational pyramid. So you think about huge yep. conglomerate companies, you've got the CEO up here making 50 million dollars right whatever in, in a you know ridiculous amount of money and then you've got all these layers right so of people making you know a little bit less money but and so then you've got the workers down here so i really like the idea of this pyramid and they said you know what there were both blue collar and wrote white collar jobs so those were things like claims handling customer inquiries typing memorandums that's what they call wrote white collar jobs but I love this, and I highlighted this. Those were the jobs that required the basic skills our education system is excellent at providing. Okay, so in the 20th century, before the, the, the innovation era, before the internet, absolutely our education system pretty much worked, right? Because you had to, those were the, the skills you needed to get a job. Entry-level positions were abundant in the 20th century economy. Motivated people could get their foot in the door, and then they could work their way up. And guess what? Back in those days, people would maybe only work for one or two companies exactly. their entire career. My exactly. mom started um, working for the state of Iowa. Um, she actually worked in the governor's office, and she worked her entire career there. I mean, she she that was the only place she worked in Iowa. She, when she when she when she retired, it was like Mary had been there for you know I don't even know how many decades, decades and decades at one job how often does that happen today mike never never hardly ever right yeah so perhaps people would change companies every decade or two but they never changed careers so our assembly line model of education oh i like that term assembly line model of education was a perfect match for our economy back then okay but then guess what happened technology took off right then all of a sudden we get the internet now everyone has access to resources beyond what even the most powerful organizations could have even drawn on just like three decades ago right so as technology started to transform our economy it starts transforming jobs things are becoming more and more automated and guess what's going away entry level jobs and on page 62 mike i just have to tell you this is fascinating it says technology is turning our economy upside down and if you look at the bottom of 62 it says few if any large organizations will now offer hand holding training programs for entry level employees entry level jobs will be much harder to come by here we go you ready for this a phenomenon familiar to parents of children now returning to live at home after graduating from college. This is something that I have been trying to figure out why all my friends, why all their kids still live at home. Our dentist, we love having this conversation. Jim and I, when we go to our dentist, he's got three grown kids. One is 30, one is like 27, one is 24. And when I went and got my teeth cleaned a couple months ago, he's like, Carrie, guess what? They've all moved out finally. Like they're in their thirties and they've been living at home because they couldn't find a job that paid enough that would allow them to live on their own. This is the world that we live in and they all have college degrees. 
it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that's exactly what's happening. And someone said it before, this is why the middle class is disappearing. And yep. say, what, say what you want about classes, upper, middle, all of that. The middle is, has always been the vast majority. And mm-hmm. it's the, back, the backbone of the country that keeps the economy going. Mm-hmm. And this, this middle class, the more and more, is going into the lower class yep. because of this inability to find these entry-level jobs. And they, and they say it straight up on page 61. In a very real sense, each of us now is supported by yep. our own personal supercomputer. Yep. So ev- if every single person in the world, including employers, mm-hmm. have their own personal supercomputer, why hire an entry level person right. if you can do it with an app or you can right. do it or you can do it with software? Absolutely. And it, it makes sense for these people to do it, to run their own business right. and sa- save money on insurance and health care sure. and benefits and all those sorts of things. Right. But parents need to be aware of this. Every ev- parents, parents freak out over their kids' education. Uh, for years and years and years from kindergarten until eighth grade Uh and then that's it and then what happens after that you have to recognize what just like why I loved your post so much the other day was it was talking about how your son has gained skills that make him employable employable if you're getting ready to graduate high school you, I mean, wh- what matters more, right? I mean, That's really, it. what That's are it. we talking about, right? Yeah. In order to be independent, in order to have autonomy, one yeah. has to be employed. And that means you have to be employable, right? Employable, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, the conveyor belt of the last century is gone. Lifetime employment with a large company, isn't this true, Mike, is increasingly unlikely. Individuals will change jobs, they will change companies, and they will even change professions many times in their lifetime. And here's the here's something that my husband and I talked a lot about today. In today's world, if you can't invent and then reinvent your own job and distinctive competencies, you risk chronic underemployment. So I will just have to tell you that, you know, I own my own company, as do you, right? And so my husband and I, when COVID hit as a professional speaker, I was unemployed for 570 days. I didn't travel. I'm just now getting back to it. And so because we are innovative and creative thinkers and we have that entrepreneurial spirit, we totally reworked our entire business model. So my husband and I were talking about in today's world, we were able to reinvent our own job. What do we see our company doing? And what makes us different from everybody else? because everything is about, you know, uh, what, how you put yourself out there. And right now it's on social media. And I just have to show you, Mike. I mean, this, oh, I love page 63 so much. So they talk <laughs> about how, look at the countries who are the companies who are making it big. So this book was written in 2015, right, Mike? 2015. Yep. We're in 2021. Yep. But they're yep. talking about companies like Care.com, eBay, TaskRabbit, Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, Teachers Pay Teachers, iTunes, Kickstarter, and on and on and on. So here is what consumers care about, right? So the companies that make it are the ones that reach lots lots of customers readily, meaning they're using the internet, they're using social media. They build an online reputation through customer feedback and examples of work. Here we go. Are you ready? They succeed in a world where customers don't care about education credentials or standardized tests scores. That's Uh, crazy, right? And that they thrive in an economy that values skills that matter. Think of you you were talking before about how we've had to reinvent ourselves and all these things. I am fairly confident that when you got your master's in speech and language mythology, you did not learn, they did not teach you how to run a seminar. 
nope. or nope. how to make magic on Canva. Nope. I guarantee you they did nope. not teach didn't you those Didn't learn things. any of those skills. And self-taught, can... 100% self-taught, right? And I can tell you right now, throughout all of, my, all of my speech and language therapy, I got a bachelor's in speech and I have a master's in speech. I probably heard the word executive functioning two or three times. Right. That was right. it. We talked about it like that. And I, and I was able to think outside the box and create these things. Right, so it, right. so that, you know, like we call it the entrepreneurial spirit and all of those mm-hmm. things, but it's really just us, uh, you know, just reinventing. And Inventing using, and, and reinventing, reinventing, whatever they called it, our, our, our discipline, yes. our skill set. Because you and I as speech yeah. language pathologists, we do have a very, we're highly specialized, right? I mean, our highly. schooling was, you know, I mean, extremely specialized in communication disorders and sciences. And what I love, though, and what I love about being an SLP is that I've been so many different things as an SLP, right? I mean, I, I was a disability determiner for the state of Iowa. I mean, you know, I worked in pediatrics. I worked in nursing homes. I've worked in, you know, I've worked in so many different arenas. Finally found my passion working with the birth to five population. And that's really where I've been now for the past 20 years. But we graduated, and this is why my college degree matters and works for me, whereas many other people, their college degree does nothing for them, is because I graduated with a highly specific skill that allows me to be a therapist. I have, I can only do one thing in the world. I feel like I do it very well, but I can only do one thing. I didn't have this liberal arts, like I'm not a psychology major, a sociology major, or a business major, because those are the majors that are getting more and more difficult to find employment um, because you don't, there's not a specific skill set, right? So therapists, nurses, doctors, you know, teachers, they come out with a, a skill, right? So they, they are employable from day one because of that skill set. And wouldn't it be amazing if we had um, counseling for our high school students to think about professions that actually, you know, could get them a job to think about what do you, if you want to do hair, by all means, go to beauty school, but why don't you take some business classes on the side? Maybe you can own your own salon, but see some kids don't have families who help them. Right. And to me, the counseling piece is what is absolutely missing in our education system. So, so there's a, there's a thing in executive functioning called the time horizon. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize is teenagers really can't see that far in advance. Can you do a They're, post on that tomorrow? Mike? Oh, the time oh, sure, horizon. Sure. I would love that. I'll write it down right Make now. Make yourself a note. I would and love this that. Is because... a, this is a huge, huge thing that, you know, people expect teenagers to be able to say, to really, really want to prep for the SATs. Oh. There's, there's so many parents like, why isn't he doing SAT training? Why isn't he doing SAT training? It's too far in advance. And all of this, these college they applications, PSAT, these, like classes, way like, in like middle ten, school. Yeah, yeah, it's grade. bad. I remember my niece. Um, she's like, oh, my daughter took her. I think she was in sixth or seventh grade. Took a PSAT just to see how she's doing. We just she wants to go to Harvard. So why in sixth grade does she want to go to Harvard? Like I don't understand why any kid in elementary school is even thinking about Ivy League schools. Like what are we doing? I just, I just don't understand. I guess that this this push for let's hurry up and make kids smarter faster. And when does it start? Mike, you have a six, seven, eight month old. How old is she now? No, she's gonna be she's gonna be eight months tomorrow. Oh, eight months old. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it starts in infancy with baby Einstein and your baby can oh, read program and um, you know, uh, baby Einstein DVDs and uh, all these programs that are like hurry up and make your baby smarter faster. So this is the push that um, started in the 1990s, which is really the baby education era, and that's when 
all of this, the, our problems really started to ensue because we thought, oh, if we just teach them to read when they're two, right? If we can just make sure they have all these academic skills, then we can start, um, you know, in kindergarten, we can make sure they're already reading and writing. When we fully know that the brain is not ready to read and write until age seven. I mean, we have all of the research that says age seven is when we should start formal schooling, but we don't listen to evidence in our education system. We just do whatever we think is gonna get us higher test scores, I guess. So um, it's- And, and, it's, and, this, and this is what gets me so fired up about this is we are the adults, we are the ones who are educated, okay. we are the ones who have the power, and we are the ones putting the most vulnerable populations literally babies mm -hmm. we are putting them and we are causing them to have what they call no fighting chance at life yeah. because we are because setting the anxiety the anxiety the everything mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you we talk about this every week every week at, at, at some we at some back. point yeah. at some point we say kidney shaped table and yeah. this is exactly <laughs> this is exactly what it is and when we are taking these babies who literally need to be staring at faces, playing mm -hmm. with faces, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, playing, playing on the floor, playing yeah. on the floor, crawling, mm -hmm. crying, fighting this, mm -hmm. whatever. They need to be doing those things. And we're sitting there teaching them to read and sit yeah. at a table. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. This is I mean, this is this is why, kids, this is why we have hyperactivity yep. and in it in inattentiveness. Yep. It's not yep. it's not hyperactivity, it's self-regulation. It's not That's inattentiveness, right. it's self-motivation. And I know I bring this book up every single week. And those of you who are with me every week, I apologize, but I know we have some new people on here. But a moving child is a learning child is probably the best book I've ever read that explains why play-based movement is absolutely essential for young children with developing brains and bodies. And there you go. Uh, the mo the highest form of movement is the ability to sit still. And so, you know, well, what is that saying? I see a meme on, on social media every now and then that says, um, how do we expect kids to move mountains if we never let them get out of their chairs? I mean, that's probably the most profound thing. Like, think about that. How can we expect them to move mountains if we never let them get out of their chairs? So we, for some reason, have this idea that in order to be learning, one must be sitting still. Crisscross applesauce, you know, for our nope. little kids. And that is not how young children learn. I don't know where we got off track. But as an early childhood specialist, I will tell you that the foundation for school success begins in infancy, it begins in early childhood. And um, last week, or maybe it was the week before, we talked about preschool is supposed to mean before school. It's not supposed to mean mini school. We'd call it mini school if it was supposed to be a mini version of first grade. It's called preschool. And that's when we said, gosh, what if we called it play school instead? You know, and exactly. somebody said, oh, I think there is some, you know, organizations that call yep. it play school. Because we obviously have no idea what preschool is anymore because kids are sitting around kidney-shaped table writing yeah. sentences at age And there's four. iPads. Oh. iPad, iPads in a preschool classroom and kindergarten classrooms. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It is and, ridiculous. And, and, you know, and even thinking about therapy and how we do therapy. Yep. You know, sitting at a table doing worksheets. Sitting is at a table. Is there an app for that? I, you know how many times it, it, I, is there an app for that, Mike? Mike, is there an app for that? Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's, I just have to laugh. I do. And, and I'm, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, because as speech language pathologists, <laughs> we are communication specialists. Are we in agreement there? That's what an SLP is. We are communication specialists. And um, in order for communication to be, I mean, I always say any communication that's functional is going to be social communication. Because if there isn't another person involved, then you might just be rote memorizing and reciting facts or whatever. But for it to be true communication, it's going to be re reciprocal, right? It's gonna be back and forth, reciprocity, meaning there's another person there. And so uh, 
uh, I just find it fascinating that as SLPs that we would use something like a screen, like an iPad or a Chromebook to work on something as important as social communication skills. Anything in front of a screen is all input. There is absolutely no way to work on functional communication skills if there is a screen between you and another person. So that is why I just, when people ask me, is there an app for that? I'm like, I don't know. And we um, wonder why there's no yeah. more perspective taking. Right. Oh, absolutely. We get so caught up on social pragmatic language. Right. It's not really language. It's executive functioning. Yeah. It's yeah. the ability to think about someone else's thinking and socially right. relate to them. Right. Perspective taking. Putting and, yourself uh, in someone else's put shoes. It, the theory, theory of mind. Right. All of those things. That is Absolutely. never going to happen with technology. And you can nope. have the most advanced robot in the world. Right. It's, it's not, not going happen. to happen, period. Nope. It nope. needs to be a unique experience yep. away from technology, human to human. Yep, yep. All right, Mike, we're getting, I really want to get to page 72 and 73. So I'm, I think we should just skip for right now the, the case study on climate change. If you have the book, please read it. My husband and I had a very thoughtful discussion about this. It had brought up points that I had never even recognized that this is what is really is wrong in our political economy today. I, I just, I, it was so eye-opening for me. I just, I hope we have time to come back to this part, but I really want to get to page 72 and 73. But Mike, oh, yeah. the one thing I want to say on page 68 is in that, uh, second to last paragraph it says here's what we need okay if we're gonna if we're going to uh you know adjust our educational uh you know kind of um uh, philosophy if you will here's what we need we need um a strong base of essential skills that include critical analysis communication collaboration and creative problem solving oh, so and, me, and, and what are those yeah gee isn't that interesting yeah, executive yeah. function skills oh, yeah. look at that. so you better believe tomorrow when i'm talking to this school district about possible you know revamping their uh, special education program you better believe these are going to be the terms that i i will be talking to them about so um yeah i i love the political stuff but i just i think we, i think we could do a whole a whole talk maybe we need to do an extra one just on that because that political did you find it interesting mike the political stuff of why we're it's, so divided in this country? It's it's fascinating, and it, and and to and, to, and to, to know when this book was written, and to see the current political climate we're in now, it's it's unbelievable, and yeah. it's it, it's only gotten worse. And the way that they talked about uh, the separating the separation of news sources, yeah, and yeah. and and how, uh, how polarizing, and how pol yeah. and and mm -hmm. the more extreme you are, the more clicks you get, and the more right. people who follow you. But if you're more moderate and even. Right. You don't you don't make as much money, so nobody right. cares. Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's really I would like bad. To, maybe we could start next week by actually. I, I would like to, but I want to be able to explain it all. You know how because they talk about climate change, and I thought what a weird thing to just throw in here. But once my husband, my husband and I actually read this chapter together. Once we read it and talked about, it, I was like, oh my gosh, this explains why there's so much polarization uh, in our in our um, you know are you Democrat or Republican and and people hate each other. And it talks about how so we used to actually like each other. We used to work together. There used to be bipartisanship you know and that is gone and this book in like three pages explains why so i would like to get to that but can we talk about page 72 and being jury ready oh did my this goodness. not blow your mind mike fast it's fascinating fascinating I went running out of my office i said jim jim you gotta listen to this i'm like isn't this so cool i'm like we need to make sure we're graduating students who are jury ready and he's like what are you talking about Oh, I love this. This is this is literally so this this reminded me of when they did the whole comparison of like bike to education. So yes, this is this yes. is them comparing uh, citizens and, mm -hmm. and people that graduate from school being jury ready, being yeah. able to being able to critically think, yep. be a be a part of a jury, 
and actually be a meaningful member of that jury yep. to do the right thing, to know the difference between right and wrong. Right. And, and not only are we not graduating people that are ready for life, we're, we're graduating people that can't even be on a jury. They can't even have a conversation. So here's, even, yeah. the, oh, here's the scenario, guys. Okay, so this is on page 72. It says, imagine for a moment. So I want you guys to use your visual imagery here for a minute. Okay, imagine for a moment that you were accused of a serious crime that you did not commit and you are now on trial for your life. How confident would you be of getting a fair trial if the members of your jury had merely met the intellectual standards of our college prep courses as they exist today? Certainly, they would know how to memorize information and perform on multiple choice and short answer tests. But would your jurors who are determining your fate, would they know how to, here we go, you ready? Analyze an argument, weigh evidence, recognize bias, their own and others bias, distinguish fact from opinion. That's something a lot of people have no idea. How no to do. way. And be able to balance with um, the sometimes competing principles of justice and mercy. Could they listen with both a critical mind and a compassionate heart and communicate clearly what they understand to the other jury members? Would they know how to work with others to seek the truth. We continue um, to observe that the majority of high school students, even those who are studying our new common core curriculum, are not graduating jury ready. Why? Because the skills just described are not being tested or even assessed in any way. And in our country, what gets tested is all that gets taught. There you go. That's that's. Is bad. your student jury ready? New question, right? I just... It's, I, I it's fascinating. And, and, and you think you think about that. Imagine being accused of a crime yep. you did not commit and you your, your life your was fate. in the balance. Mm -hmm. Your fate was in the balance of these people yep. that were a product of this American school system. American and, education. And, yep. American education. And it's then this is what it is. In our country, what gets tested is all that gets, gets taught. taught. And, and that's exactly that. what Teaching Paul. That's. And that's right. exactly what Paul Tuff talked about. Yep. He taught, he like, so, so basically what gets taught are these academic skills. Yep. So in How Children Succeed, we learned about academic skills and we learned about character skills. Or what, character what Mike skills. and I, we call them non-academic skills, executive function skills, life skills. I mean, there's so many different ways to talk about it, but the way yep. I like to talk about it to parents especially, and I'm doing uh, in my new executive function course that I'll be doing my live webinar next week, um, is we talk about academic readiness skills, which every parent is concerned about. But now let's talk about non-academic skills that actually um, allow a child to be successful. And what they are are executive function skills. But because nobody really talks about that, except like a few yes. people on social media, you know, like Mike, who talks yep. <laughs> about executive function every day, um, non-academic skills is a really good way to try to get buy-in. Like when I talk tomorrow to this school district, I'm going to talk about the importance of non-academic skills yep. um, and that we need to be calling them executive function skills because that's what they are. But these are the non-academic skills that actually allow students to be successful in school. And one of the first things you're probably going to hear back from the school is we can't focus on that too much because mm -hmm. of it, testing. it mm -hmm. can't be measured. It, yep, can't, yep, it can't be yep. measured. You can't measure soft skills. You can't truly measure, you can't say, oh, this person has self-regulation, two standard deviations below the mean. <laughs> you right, can't, right. It's, your, your executive functioning is your imagination. 
your ability but to visualize love, and talk to yourselves. That's right. Cannot section, measure it, cannot test it. Right. The section that we skipped on the political stuff is I just love when they said, look, you know, you, you talk about um, climate change and you're going to have polarizing views. But they said we're asking the wrong questions. Instead of saying, is it a thing or is it not a thing? Why don't we just start with what are some effective ways to reduce emissions? In the, like, why do we have to argue about if it's a thing or not? Let's just can we talk about solving problems, you know, because it's I mean, the terrible. one thing we learned and again, I really I can't believe I'm going here because we don't have time for this. But um, when COVID hit and everybody stayed home, what happened to the emissions? What happened in California? I mean, they had air quality they hadn't seen in decades because nobody was out driving their car, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, it, but it's fascinating when we start looking at, at, at the, at the um, division in, in politics. But the one thing my husband asked me when I was reading page 73 to him and I was bringing up this about, you know, um, jury ready, he said, oh, here's the most common question students are going to ask. If you're a teacher, how many times do you hear this? Will this be on the test? Oh, my goodness. Will this be, is this going to be on the test? Oh, my goodness. Because what have we trained students to care about? Oh, all that matters is that you do well on the test. It doesn't matter if you understand, you know, the, the, the philosophy of, you know, why X, Y, or Z happen. What matters is that you're going to do well on the test. So all students care about is, is that going to be on the test? Do I need to know that? Am I going to need to remember that? And think so, about how terrible that is. Oh, how terrible awful. that is. And, that, and, and when you're so focused on what's going to be on the test versus what's not going to be on the test, right. you're so focused on writing it down word for word so you can yeah. study it correctly. So, you even, you're not so even you're not even about processing it. it. You're, you, don't, right. you have no time to visualize it. You have no time. And, and this is why we have, uh, oh, it's auditory processing disorder. Oh, it's this, all it's the that. auditory processing it's, it's, disorder. It's, yeah. it's yeah. ridiculous. It's, it, it's, it's having to take in all this information you know, we talked about the time horizon for kids. There's also only a certain amount kids can hold in their working memory at one time. Well, and, and why does it matter? I mean, we have to talk about this. It doesn't matter. to be done here. But on page 73, I love this so much. And I have the whole thing um, outlined with a oh, highlighter. Yeah. And oh, it yeah. says, um, the five habits of mind. Okay, we need to get in the habit of asking the five right questions. So this is how we need to affect change. Evidence. How do we know what we know? And what's the evidence behind it? Viewpoint. Could there be another point of view? See, this is where we start looking at perspective taking, start That'd looking nice. at biases. How about connections, cause and effect? Do you see any patterns here? Has this happened before? Like, look at history. Has this happened before? What are the possible consequences if that happens again? Conjecture. Could it have been otherwise? If even just one thing had happened differently, how might that have changed the outcome of the war or the outcome of, you know, that terrorist act or whatever it is we're learning about? Relevance. Here we go, Mike. This is what you just said. Does it matter who cares so if we're not asking these questions then are we really doing our job in education this, right so, this these five questions oh, should literally be in math science, science social history, studies everything, everything everything this right yep. here these five questions these five, these habits, are the five of the mind, habits of mind everything yep. and if you look at it each one is an executive function skill yep. and yep. all of them are self-directed talk you're That's taking right. in information, you're taking in new questions, and you're, at, you're having an internal dialogue. Yep, you're having yep. an internal system of checks and balances. Mm -hmm. So you're not just taking in information and just accepting it for what it is. Right. You're asking yourself questions. So, like, where did I get so, the information? Because and, what happens with the internet today, Mike? Somebody Googles you know, something, they're like, oh, well, then they yep. say it's fact. Well, how do you know it's fact? Just because you see it on the internet in some Yahoo's blog does not mean that that is a fact. What is your evidence behind that, right? This is something that we are terrible at in, in our society today. We just assume that anything that's on the news from all these different news sources is fact. We assume that anything on the internet is fact, right? So the problem is we're not teaching 
people today how to critically think, how to analyze, because information is so readily available and everybody wrongly assumes that everything on the internet is true. Huge issue. Yeah. Oh, did so I lose your mic? It's, it, and, and you think about it, these five, um, can you see me now? Yeah, yeah, better. Good. Yep. So, so these, these, five, these five habits of the mind, not only is it helping you process the information and helping you understand it deeper, but it's also building an intrinsic connection to the material. We, right. talk, about, we talk about kids being bored and disinterested. Yeah. When you take in information in history, science, math, whatever, and, make it relevant. and, you, and you ask these five questions, you're right. building self-motivation. You're building right. an internal connection to the And what you're saying is I care about material. your opinion. Okay, yes. I'm the teacher, but yes. I'm not just going to um, lecture at you and make you listen and then make you regurgitate my exact words on a test because that's how our education system basically runs right now. What if we had a conversation, sat in a circle and had a conversation about X, Y, or Z, and we actually went through these five habits of mind? I mean, can you imagine how, what kind of a conversation and what kind of input we would get when people were asked to dig a little deeper? You know, when I cared about your viewpoint, how do you see the world? You know, because depending on your childhood, depending on where you were raised, depending on your, your ethnicity, whatever, you maybe have a different experience than me. And how are we going to learn about each other if we don't talk to each other, right? But the lecture listen model that Mike has, has taught me that term so beautifully now of education is failing us. We are no longer in the 19th and the 20th century. We are no longer preparing students for manufacturing jobs they're so rare and when the manufacturing jobs do exist we outsource them to china right yep. so i yep. mean we need to be preparing students for the innovation era for and so the four things we need and then we're going to wrap up here we go i know i've said them like three times already we need students to be able to critically analyze collaborate communicate and creatively solve problems period those are the four primary things that we need to focus our revamped education system around this book is going to get us mm. fired up people. it's already getting me so fired. monday up. nights are the place to be on That's instagram right. live we are on a book now that pulls no punches None. that describes <laughs> the world exactly where we're at it's modern it's here and yep. i'm telling and, and this next chapter we're doing next week oh my goodness oh i can't the wait for the formative years oh. k to 12 okay guys, the, and, and it's a long years. one it's a long one so okay. this, is this is going to be jam-packed with information. You know, we if we have to do it over two weeks, because Mike, it's like hey. 50 pages long. Yeah, we're going to have to do. If we have well. to, let's do it. Oh, we're going to have to, because it's like, yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, Mike, I'll text you, and we'll figure out what page we're going to go up to, and I'll post it. But, yeah, we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we'll do half of Chapter 4 next week, because this looks like a doozy. So. But this book is absolutely living up to the hype so far. It is. It, it is. is. We hope it's... you guys, I know we didn't, like, get any input from you guys tonight, because Mike and I were just going on and <laughs> yep, on yep, yep, and yep. on on and on um but uh send us messages let us know you know certainly i will share this on um this recorded version on my instagram page carrie ebert seminars and then mike tell us where our listeners can find it on the podcast world yep so spotify and apple podcasts you type in education chapter chat you'll see our blue little symbol there subscribe leave a review listen to the new chapters as they come out we yep. have so many listeners from so many different countries listening to our us on podcasts, it is absolutely fascinating. When yep. I see all, all the people in Australia and England yep. and Ireland listening to these chapter chats, it it's is exciting. huge. So yes, we talk, we talk about American education. Yes, 
but I'm telling you, this is a grassroots movement that a yeah. lot, because everyone goes, goes through some education, everyone goes through school. Right, this is something right. a lot of people are passionate about. And we and, love to hear how yeah. it's happening in other countries. You know, if you are from another country, we love hearing how you take this information and kind of adapt it for your followers on social media. And um, we appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, Japan, that, we have someone from Japan here. Look uh, at that. Awesome. I think we yeah. from Japan last week too. So yeah. Mike, as always, it was a pleasure. I uh, look forward to this so so very much so next monday night uh 8 p.m eastern right here on instagram live we will do another episode of chapter chat so yep. everybody have a great week safe travel safe travels yep. to you go out there and change the world i will one day at a time right <laughs> that's right that's right one, right, one day at a time guys. one monday at a time <laughs> take care everybody Bye.